Welcome to the Channel 17 Podcast, a weekly Atlanta Braves discussion podcast brought to you by the Productive Leisure Network, online, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com, and on Facebook and Twitter, at ProdLeisure. I'm your host, Will Floyd, and joining me as always is my dad, Tim Floyd. Great to be with you. Uh, so we are continuing our journey through Braves history, uh, as we do, as we've been doing this whole offseason, and we are reaching the 1988 Atlanta Braves, the worst Atlanta Braves team in history. Yeah, that's interesting, this trajectory we've been on this offseason. I mean, we've turned the corner, we're heading in the right direction uh, in two different senses. You know, once we finish talking about this team, we'll we'll get into the, the great teams of the last quarter century starting next week, which, of course, will be a lot of fun. Um, and on the calendar, we're also turning our attention, getting closer and closer to spring training and pitchers and catchers report in really just about a month, a little over. So reason for optimism there. But before we get there, we do have to talk about this very worst Atlanta Braves team ever. Yes, but before we... We really get into talking about the 1988 Braves, um, and thankfully we can stall it a bit because there's actual news. Finally, news. Yeah, uh, the, the holiday's over and um, Copy's back at work <laughs> using those telephones, making a deal. He traded for two live arms. That's just what he does. Uh, that, it, 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 if there was ever any doubt about what the plan was, I think they yeah. pretty much confirmed so, it. This rebuild is all about getting you know good young... High ceiling arms. The trade as it officially goes is the Atlanta Braves traded Malik Smith and Shea Simmons for Thomas Burroughs and Luis Gahara, who were both in A ball for the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, both left handers, both with really good stuff, both that could be, you know, good major league pitchers someday, but of course, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. The Braves are really putting that to the test, aren't they? Um, it, well, it may be there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, but I think the thought is if you end up with 50 or 100 of them, you, you might end up with one or two. I mean, I'm, I'm being, Luis I'm Gazzara, only being a little bit facetious there. I yeah. think it really does have the idea that you know the more of these high upside arms you get, the better your odds are of some of them panning out. Well, I mean, Luis Gohara is interesting. He's Brazilian. He's 19. He had a great season in A-ball where he seemed to have figured out that um, if he threw strikes, he was deadly. He also apparently developed a changeup. But this is a guy... He also lost weight, apparently, too. Apparently, oh, he's yes. been having weight issues. And what I read was the guy's gotten himself in better shape. Um, he's been in the minors a, a good long while, but that's because he was an international signing yeah. who's signed apparently at the age of 16. So even though he's got, like, four years now in pro ball in fact will have to be added to the 40-man roster uh, next year i think um he, but he's you know he hadn't gone past a ball uh, which means he's still got a long way to go probably if he's ever going to make it yeah and then the other guy is thomas burroughs who was the university of alabama's closer drafted last year you know college closer should move fast he's got good stuff lefty that's a good ticket to doing something in a bullpen somewhere. Yeah, what I read about that guy is he's got two good pitches, not three, which means he's there's probably no thought about him being anything but a reliever, but no harm there. You know, getting minor league relievers is not the best use of resources, but I think well, he's probably more the throw in. I think the big yeah the, the big motivation for the trade was to get Gahara the the big young left handed starter with apparently great stuff. Strikes out but, a lot of people. Is it also a case of actually the Braves didn't see where Malik Smith fit in, not just next year, but long term? Oh, I think clearly. And I, I, I'll admit, when I first heard about this trade yesterday, it went down, I, I was pretty frustrated because I've been quite high on Malik's. I, in a lot of ways, I'm just your typical fan. Um, if somebody wears our uniform, even in the minor leagues, um, I start to think, this guy, he, he may turn out to be better than everybody thinks. And I, I really had, and in some ways I still have pretty good hopes for Malik's to turn into a very productive major league player. I think the real problem is, we've talked about this before, they already have Enciarte, who is, you know, a center fielder who plays great defense and runs well and hopefully gets on base enough. Um, well, that's Malik Smith at his best. Um you don't want to put either of them in a corner outfield spot if you can get somebody who can hit with more power, I guess. I mean, I assume that's their thinking. 
and I think they're also committed to Marcakis and Wright and Kemp and left for the next season. So Smith may have returned to AAA. I think there might have been a good chance of that. And it may be if he really didn't fit in long term as a regular as a starter, go ahead and maybe sell high on him now. But I, I'm still a little bit frustrated because I've always liked players like this, and I think the guy might be a productive major league player, but Braves know better than I do, I suppose. Um, I, I think mean, they probably also like their younger outfielders, Dustin Peterson coming along in another year or so, and hopefully not more than a year or so after that, Acuna, both of whom clearly have more of an upside in a lot of ways. So I, I understand where they're coming from. Um, as always, it's a matter of whether these young arms – any of them pan out, but it's, it is kind of bizarre, isn't it, to think that we, we do have this really good farm system, but mostly it's, it's pitchers at Class A and below. Well, except I, mean, that, I think there's an extra layer to this trade that actually has to do with the Major League roster, which is we got rid of two guys on the 40-man. Right. Poppy didn't see using much next year, because I think Simmons is such a, an injury problem, which... Is terrible. Oh, well, that, you know, we didn't mention Simmons. I, I'm really, I think that one's a shame also because that guy had electric stuff out of the bullpen. But notice I used the past tense there. He's had such injury problems that I'm sure the Braves just figured he's probably never going to recover to be what he was or could have been. And it's it's sort of a giving up on him, I hope, for his sake. You know, he, he still can managed to pitch in the major leagues but with all the new young bullpen arms coming along i think they just figured he's 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 just not going to be healthy enough to to be what they thought he could be so in 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 the short run i think the braves haven't really lost too much uh in terms of you know what what's going to happen in the next year or two and productivity at the major league level with these two guys and as you say they've freed up to 40-man roster spots. Um, so there's room now to bring back Jeff Francoeur and Kelly Johnson, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> hey, well, if we can get them. another decent double-A pitching prospect for Kelly Johnson from the Mets, I'm fine with this going on for years. Well, it's just that's, for that, that's the main strategy of the rebuild, obviously. <laughs> Sign Kelly Johnson every year, trade him to the Mets for pitchers, some of whom may work out. So far, they oh. haven't really, but... Um, I'd kind of like the idea of Kelly Johnson one more time. I think he can still be a valuable guy off the bench. I would hate to see Jeffrey Gore in a praise uniform again. They do need a another outfielder, though. Um, I mean, they've got four outfielders, um, the three that are clearly the starters, and the new guy, Sean Rodriguez, but um, they don't have a backup center fielder, do they? Jace Peterson. Yeah, I think they're going to have, in an emergency, you'd go to Jace, but my goodness, suppose Ender's out for a couple of months. Um, he's, he has been a bit fragile, you know. Yeah. So that, that seems to me, in some ways, the biggest risk of the trade, at least for the upcoming season. But I don't, I don't know how competitive the Braves really expect to be in this coming season. I mean, they're still much more focused on another couple of years out. Which, of course, is starting to get frustrating from just a fan standpoint. I'm ready to see them start winning some ball games and, you know, play some meaningful games, um, maybe halfway through or later in the season. Um, I'm still not all that optimistic about this year, but we'll see. But anyway, it's I, I don't think they're through. I think you are absolutely right that freeing up those 40-man roster spots means there's another major leaguer um, that they plan to sign or trade for. By the way, I like the idea of Luis Valbuena. Um, I okay. think they could use, well, <laughs> I don't mean as, you know, all-star or anything, <laughs> but he might be a good bench piece to fit in. Um, on the other hand, it may be they need to get another outfielder. That's where Kelly Johnson helps. Obviously, he plays second and third and the outfield. Um, so they're, yeah. they're not through. Um, there'll be more coming. But I think there's also just the fact that you're relying on your pitching coming through, really, for this team to do, go anywhere. Oh, oh, you mean the 2017 team? Yeah. Or, yeah, that it, it's if they're going to you know be better than they have been the last couple of years, and most people are counting on that, they really are depending upon these veteran pitchers, the two 40-year-olds and the injured 30-year-old, um, to come through. And I have no reason to think they won't. I think they probably will have a better starting staff this year than they had last year it's a pretty low bar but yeah yeah, they'll probably um 
have better starters. Um, I'm not convinced the offense is going to be as good as it was in August and September. Um, I am convinced it'll be better than it was in April and May. So, again, we, we'll talk more about the coming season in another few weeks as we really look look ahead. But mm-hmm. um, so, this trade, um, just one more ready? example of of what. I, I don't know that I've ever heard of a team that had so many pitchers with high ceilings, but are yet still two and three years away from the major leagues. If, if, if the idea was to see how many excellent um, ceiling type pitchers you could have at a ball or lower, I mean the Braves are far and away the best team in baseball. Um, that may pay off in two or three years, but that's we still got to wait and see. So, are you saying you you kind of? Are not ready to talk about the 1988 Braves again? Well, I've been putting it off, obviously, but no, I think that's our, our task for today. So, uh, yeah, yeah, let's go to it. The the 1988 Braves were a special kind of bad. They were legitimately awful, and they were five games worse than their Pythagorean record. Is that right? I didn't uh, even realize yeah, that yeah, much. Well, I'm I knew saying that they, if, they, on the yeah. field, lost more games than any other Atlanta Braves team ever. Um but they only won 54 games, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this this team was like 10 games worse than either of the last two Braves teams, 15 and 16, that we've been talking about. As bad as they were, this team was, you know, another order of magnitude worse. So they scored 555 runs and allowed 741. That's a Pythagorean win-loss record. You do all the math. A 59 and 101, and they went 54 okay. and 106. So they were a better team than their record indicated. Yeah. Give them that. <laughs> they were merely uh, usually dreadful rather than historically They're a hundred-loss team no matter what. <laughs> um, I don't even know if there's actually someone who was good this year on this team. Um, I'll tell you, you know, we part of what we've been doing is I tell you my memories of the team. So yeah. soon we'll get the teams you actually have a memory of rather yes. than just having read about or heard about. Um, but you were two years old this year, so obviously you don't remember this team. Um, I don't remember much about it either, honestly. I probably spent less time following the Braves in 88 I mean, it, than almost any other year in the 50 that they've been in Atlanta. Um, it was partly because they were so bad. It was partly, you know, just staged in life and, you know, work and family and stuff. But just I don't remember much about the team. I will tell you that I remember Dale Murphy falling off a cliff. Boy, did he. You know, we talked about Murph um, as what, you know, the all-star and back-to-back MVP um, leading the team to the pennant in 82. Um, He was still good. 87, according to my memory, may have been his best year ever. It was at least as good as his 82 and 83 seasons. Um, But he was still quite good the year before. But by 88, he was pretty dreadful, right? What kind of numbers did he put up in 88? Well, uh, I was going to go back to 87 first. That okay. was his last All-Star year in 87. He had hit 295, 417 on base, 580 slugging, out in the field in a 159 games. Now, that was the first year he had moved to right. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, it's a Dale Murphy season. He had 44 oh, yeah. home runs. Oh, my goodness. Those numbers, that, that might be his best OPS yeah. ever. Um, probably was just yeah. off the top of my head. That's up near a thousand. Yep, that's that's phenomenal. You know, I mean, this is a guy who is aging, but I mean, doesn't seem to so show any signs of slowing down, and right, then crashes. Right. Oh boy, he hit two twenty six in nineteen eighty eight. Ooh, <laughs> with a three thirteen on base percentage. Well, right. So, I mean, he walked some, but it doesn't matter when you hit 226, really. Yeah, you're still not getting on base that much. And then 24 home runs and 35 doubles. And I'm outlining this because there's still an argument he was the best hitter on this race team. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty bad lineup. Um, Ron Gant I guess they were... was a 23-year-old second baseman who well, hit there's, pretty there's well. there's the real bright spot, actually. Yeah. Um, one of the themes of 88 is, if you look real hard, especially with hindsight, knowing what came later, you see the seeds planted for the dynasty of the 90s, at least parts of it. Um, from an offensive standpoint, that is, you know, regular players, not pitchers. Gant was sort of the first of the 90 stars to come along, and that was his rookie year. And I do remember watching, thinking, wow, now this guy, um, a middle infielder that can hit the ball out of the park, which he did. How many home runs did he hit? He hit 
19, but he was also yeah. got 28 doubles and eight triples in 146 games. Right. I mean, he, he was he was the best hitter to come along in many years. They had had, you know, several flops throughout the 80s and traded away a couple of good young hitters. Um, so that that at least was pretty exciting. There wasn't much else to get excited about. I mean, they had Andres uh, Thomas playing shortstop, yes. one of the very worst ever. Um, they had, I guess, was Ken Oberfeld still playing yep. third that year? Yep. He'd that been a serviceable a major league hitter with the Cardinals earlier in the decade, but man, by the time yeah, the Braves no, he was had 32. him, he was he pretty was not, pathetic. Still good. Yeah. Uh, Gerald Perry was the first baseman having probably his best year. Still not good. He hit 300, uh, though. He hit 300 on the dot with a 338 on base and a 400 slugging. Missing. That's the problem with Gerald Perry. Even at his best, um, all he really gave you was batting average. And um, he doesn't fit one of my favorite ridiculous statistical uh, groupings, which is guys who hit 300 without reaching uh, an on-base above 350 or a slugging above 400. He just clears the bar. That one yeah. triple he hit goes away it's a much more uh interesting conversation about how bad it is and, and what's interesting about that that trifecta you're talking about um is again I, i've said this several times until bill james came along most baseball fans that just read you know the sports pages or watch tv announcers thought that the main measure of a hitter was batting average and gerald perry's a 300 hitter when in fact he's really not contributing much of anything but beyond that batting average if he he didn't walk nearly enough and he didn't hit with re any real power um and he's a first baseman right right yeah as a middle infielder those would be pretty good numbers yeah but as a first baseman you got to do better than that you know who might have actually been secretly pretty good on this team is ozzy virgil who <laughs> really who managed to somehow hit 256 and walk 22 times with nine homers and 10 doubles and 350 plate appearances. So three, 256, 313, 372, triple slash. But well, these are the kind of thing, this is what this team is. You're kind of squinting and being like, well, that could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> Offensively, yeah, they put 500 and something runs. It was, it was pretty yeah. bad. Uh, their um, main center fielder was Terry Blocker. Uh, and then when he uh, stunk out the joint by hitting 212 with no benefit otherwise, the 30-year-old Albert Hall would be out there. Well, Terry Blocker and Albert Hall are both what Malik Smith would turn into if he doesn't pan out. <laughs> Albert Hall actually managed to hang around for a fair number of years, but he was a pretty much all-speed guy, never hit all that much. Terry Blocker was the same except a lot worse. I mean, they gave him the center field job because he could run fast. Uh, but obviously he was no hitter at all. Um, just because you can run fast is, you know, not, not a good enough qualification by itself. So that must be what the Braves are thinking with Malik. That just reminded me those two. Um, but that's not, that's not what you need to be a competitive major league team. Those kind of numbers out of your center fielder. Uh, yeah. And I mean, like the real question here to me is sort of team construction. I mean, clearly when Bobby Cox was brought in as GM, I think before the 87 season, the, the mission was tear down this team, rebuild them, focus on the minors. Absolutely. On the other yeah, that's hand, one thing we hadn't really mentioned yet today. Um, obviously Bobby Cox now is the general manager of this team. Um, when we get into the late eighties and he is very much focused on the farm system. So, um, that they've got some, you know, some old retreads, um, in, in their in the major league roster. Oh no, uh, we haven't even begun on retreads. Yeah, the, well, I guess my point there though, is the farm system had some pretty good young players already coming along, but we didn't see the benefit of that yet in '88. That so they are filling out the roster with retreads. Who else did they have? Okay, uh, let's go from uh, maybe most expected retread to least. Jerry Royster still around at 35, being awful. He hit one We've been talking about Jerry Royster for the last several weeks on this no, march through history. Um, they also, though, employed the 38-year-old Ken Griffey Sr. I do remember that, yeah. Uh, who wasn't very good. He hit no. 249 with no benefits otherwise. Uh, and then also, the you might he not remember He hung around Major this. League Baseball long enough so that he could be a teammate of his son. What do I guess the next year yeah. must have been? Yeah. Uh, 
Actually, I, I'm going to save the best for last. Bruce Benedict at age 32. Still around? Him. I had no idea. Yep. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, the 31-year-old Damaso Garcia played some. Yeah. Um, and, I guess because he, he had been with the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, and, he hit 117. Um, and he oh didn't walk God, or have I power. I do remember that. God, that, was, that was one of the worst players the Braves ever had. He was never that good. He was overrated, I think, uh, when they got him. But, yeah, he, he was kind of like Eric Ibar last year for the Braves, a yeah. guy who just was you know, not a bad major league player, but once they got him was really awful. Uh, also, the 31-year-old Jody Davis played in two games. Yeah, but that's all right. That was uh, yeah. Uh, but here's he had the, been a huge disappointment. That's you know he was a local guy. That is, he was from North Georgia. He had hit a lot of home runs for the Cubs as a catcher, and he was one more of many busts throughout this time period that really never did yeah, anything for the Braves. Here's here's the former power hitting catcher that I don't know if you remember. This team employed a 38 year old Ted Simmons. That I did not remember. Because he was terrible. I mean, I vaguely had some memory that they had Ted Simmons, but I did not remember it was in 88. Ted Simmons, of course, is, you know, borderline Hall of Famer. He was uh, one of the best hitting catchers of all time, but yeah, not was, by this time, I guess, right? He was a 38-year-old first baseman that hit 196. Yep. Man, what a bench. That is really <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, in a way, I almost am thinking we're not going to talk about the Major League roster the whole time, because it is about it, but... Then pitching-wise... Um, well, that's where it gets interesting, right? Uh, in, a, in a manner of speaking, there's some repeats of what was going on there. Rick Mailer was still around. The Good pitching Rick equivalent Mailer. of Jerry he Royster. throughout probably. the 80s, and he was... He, he was <laughs> He was not the worst pitcher in the league. He was good enough to sort of hang around as a starter for, for several well, he years. He had a three six nine ERA in 249 innings that year. Oh, that's, man, you take that in a heartbeat. That must be one of his better years. Yeah. Uh, but uh, also just hanging around, uh, the closer was 35-year-old Bruce Suter, who, while a Hall oh. of Famer, was really bad. That's You know, that's one more example of, I mean, there's so many of these in the 80s. Uh, where they turn to free agents or where they, I mean, or in the 70s or trade, you know, getting Andrew Messersmith by free agency, Lynn Barker by trade, maybe the biggest free agent signing of all, signing Bruce Suter, who sort of invented the role of modern closer, um, as you say, is in the Hall of Fame, whether deserved or not. He recognized as, you know, the preeminent closer of his era. One That's more guy not who did nothing once the Braves got him. Just awful. Not not to go down a rabbit hole, but Bruce Suter was not the best closer of his era. That was Goose Gossage, and the reason the modern closer is used the way he is. Suter was known as the best closer of his yeah, era. Yeah, but I'm that's saying. because um, his manager decided to use him only in save situations. He was the first one-inning closer, right? Because he mean, couldn't Gossage pitch like Gossage the, the whole year. era where you'd come in anyway. and pitch high-leverage innings several at a time. That one bothers me. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you there. Yeah. Um, but but I guess it's it's kind of uncanny the way the Braves got all of these veterans that they thought would still have some life left in them, and they just almost universally bombed with the Braves. But it's also through this time. quite clear they didn't have guys that were ready, particularly in the rotation. I mean, Tom Glavin was a 22-year-old and started 34 games and had a 4-5-6 ERA, and they kept running him out because they really didn't have other options. Right. The other Which guy, was a great learning experience for young Mr. Glavin. Yeah. Um, you know, three years later, he um, wins 20 games, wins the Cy Young. We'll talk about that team, but I guess, next here's week. Here's something interesting. But he's not there yet. This is a young guy who's really struggling. Pete Smith was the same age and pitched better, and in fact, if you didn't know what was to come, here are two 22-year-olds, a uh, righty and a lefty. Smith's a righty. Also, it's 27-year-old Zane Smith stinking out the joint, so I've got to be careful when I say Smith. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Pete Smith and Tom Glavin both threw 195 in a third innings, Glavin and two more starts. But Pete Smith had five complete games compared to Glavin's one, three shutouts to none. Three shutouts. I do remember that. Pete Smith, um, nobody remembers the name Pete Smith when they talk about great Braves pitchers because obviously to be fair not, not a memorable name <laughs> yeah um, Pete Smith they got in a trade from the Phillies he had been a number one draft pick I'm pretty confident great stuff um, makes it to the major leagues here at age 22 you got these two rookies um, both have a lot of potential 
but Smith had the much better stuff. Yeah, you know, he threw well, harder, struck out more people, and really had more promise. And remember, um, they had the exact same number of innings. Yeah, that's Smith interesting. Smith struck out 124 people, walked 88. But Glavins was 84 and 63, so his overall strikeout-to-walk ratio isn't really that much better. And he's uh-huh. not getting guys out at the same way. Um, Pete Smith is only giving up 8.4 hits per nine. Glavins over nine at 9.3. I mean, you st- I mean, it's funny looking now because Glavin's a Hall of Famer and would go on to be one of the best pitchers of the 90s, and Pete Smith was a flameout. But you would have bet the house on Pete Smith after this year. Of course. You, you, you never know about these young pitchers. But I tell you, I remember, um, because they also had another young right-hander they mm-hmm. just traded for the year before, John Smoltz. We can talk about him a little bit more later. Oh, he gets will. called up later that season. Um but all of a sudden, they're starting to have some good young arms. But Pete Smith was at the top of that class. We were pretty excited about him. I, and it's interesting to me because we're staring at all these pitchers on the current Braves team trying to say, well, how are they going to do? And, I mean, I guess some of it's just luck. I mean, there's no reason to think Tom Glavin was going to be good. There's no such thing and as I'm a talking about my childhood. It's so hard to predict. Of course, <laughs> these are guys who were already in the major leagues, and it, it, at least based on early results – one guy looks to have a much more promising future than the other, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and I mean, it, quite clearly. It didn't work out that way. Yep. It's, Smith was never even that good after that yeah. year, is my memory. But he um, also... I remember those shutouts. Average... He, that was showing the promise Mediocre that power pitcher, guy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was just a guy who threw hard and had okay pitches. Right. That sounds weird. I think he ran into injury trouble. Um, he, he was with the Braves through... The first several years of the good years in the 90s, I mean, it wasn't like he was up for yeah. one year and then never heard from him again. Um, there was always the hope that Pete Smith could turn that corner and become the kind of all-star pitcher he looked like he might be. He never did. I think he hung around the major leagues for several years, but never never all that effective. Uh, never as good as he was his rookie year there. I mean, it's, it's Cautionary just tale there, I guess. amazing to think about how bad this team was on so many levels. <laughs> right. Uh, but, I mean, part of it was because we talked about this past season that the Braves were kind of punting on the season. I don't think anywhere compared to the 1988 Braves. Yeah. I mean, you don't yeah, that, think that Ted roster, Simmons they, will they get got you a through bunch of, more I mean, than that. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, two years ago they brought in a lot. I mean, bringing in A.J. Brzezinski or Johnny Gomes, they're bringing in a bunch of over-the-hill veterans back then. And it's the same kind of thing where you got some young players you hope will develop, but they're not ready for the major leagues. you got to field a team, but... Um, yeah, this this was worse. <laughs> uh, it was, but I mean, the other thing about this team is that I don't think that we get anywhere talking about the major leagues because that's not what's of interest, even at the time. But before we get right. to the minor leagues, I want to take this moment to, uh, as our five regular listeners know, support us on Patreon. But I want to ask for something else as well. If you're enjoying this podcast, please find us on Facebook and Twitter. Reach out to me. I would like to respond to stuff about the Braves, but usually I'm just posting about my history stuff. Um, I like making dumb jokes about Braves transactions, but that would be fun. Also, that's a way to let people kind of know what's going on. Share your love of this podcast through social media. That would help us a lot. And go to Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding site. That allows you to give monthly so you can help ongoing work like a podcast network. Doing that will allow us to hopefully add uh, new podcasts in the future. Uh, The more I think about it, the more I want to do sports history, um, especially because I realize that the best name for it is Glory Days. That's probably already taken, but I realize this. Um, If you can go to Patreon, that would be a great help to us. Give a small amount each month, uh, but also just if you can share us on social media, tell people about it, that's huge too. So please do that and uh, say that you like the Channel 17 podcast, that you like the Productive Leisure Network, and that you know we might be doing something kind of interesting here. Uh, I think we are, and I hope we are. So please find us on social media, at Prod Leisure on both Facebook and Twitter. Uh, support us on Patreon. Like this podcast on iTunes, subscribe, rate, review, all those things. 
Uh, and now we will get back into the real interest of the Braves' 1988 season, the minor leagues. Yeah, so much Familiar like the last there. two seasons, 2015 and 2016. I spent a lot more time the last two years focused on who the Braves have in the minor leagues and the major leagues. And the difference back then, at least, again, speaking from my own memory and having gone through that, yes. we didn't have the kinds of resources and information available to really know what was going on in the minor leagues. I do remember hearing that Bobby Cox was brought in to build up the farm system, and they were bringing along some good young players, and so the future you know, looked better than the present. But I, I don't remember hearing that much about the minor league players that year. But, of course, in retrospect, we can go back and look and see who, who was coming along. Um, maybe we should start with Smoltz, since he actually went yeah. from the minor leagues to the major leagues that year. Well, I was curious about how you would hear, because looking back on it now, I can go, oh yeah, here are all the guys that ended up being something. Well, I think if you really wanted to follow it, there were resources, but obviously this is before the internet. Uh, the way you kept up with baseball pretty much was... You'd read your daily paper, which would have a couple of articles every day about the team, you know, one about how the game had gone the night before and another one that might have been, you know, interviews with people. And every now and then they might mention something about the minor leagues. If you're the other thing you could do is get, you know, the, the baseball Bible, that is the sporting news weekly publication. Um, that's what I remember about it. And um, it would it would occasionally have I mean, it would have stuff about the minor leagues, but um not no nothing in detail and not the kind of regular updates not the kind of articles about prospects other than just a handful um you sort of had to take the team's word for it when they said we've got some good young players and you'd know about the record of the minor league teams the braves um i can't remember now where the different ones were well i have that up uh, so I know. Richmond was the triple-A team yes. then, I assume. Uh, Greenville right. was the double-A team, the Greenville Braves in the Southern League. Right. Uh, the Durham Bulls were a Braves affiliate that year at A-Ball. Mm-hmm. Also the Sumter Braves and the Burlington Braves. And then uh, there were three rookie league teams. I don't really get how this works. They had an Appy League remember. team, a Pioneer team, and a Gulf Coast League team, which seems ridiculous. Yeah. But see, the, the, they were they were local. Richmond was the furthest away, um, but but Greenville's not far up the highway. Idaho was Falls, also South Carolina. Yeah, big but, exception there. So yeah, so some people would would you know go watch minor league games. I wasn't that kind of a fan. Um, but anyway, um, what what we heard was there were good players coming along, and and well, there were, we heard right is what's interesting to me. Like, obviously, any team's going to be like, we're really happy about everybody down here on the farm. Well, that's what everybody says, right? In this case, it happened to be (laughs) true. Because so many of the players that made the Braves, you know, champions in the early 90s um, were in the system already in 88, right? Uh, If I'm not mistaken, both Blauser and Lemke got September call-ups. Yes. You know, the mainstay of the middle infield in the 90s. Uh, were young guys in the system, and I think they made their first major league appearances that year. We already mentioned Ron Gant um, oh, was, was actually a full time regular that year. He hadn't found a position yet. He had to keep. Yeah. He was not. He was not an infielder. He had stone hands there. Good athlete. Ended up in the outfield eventually after going back to the minor leagues. But anyway, Gant clearly had a major league bat. David Justice was called up the next year. I'm pretty sure '89 was his rookie year. Yeah. Um, so you know, after Murphy is gone, <laughs> um, I pulled out some guys that would be a lot of the main players in those early '90s Braves teams, and looking at their minor league records. Uh, but beginning with Gant, because he came up first, he first appeared at the tail end of '87. He got in 21 games, um, and that was after at Greenville in a full season, not really doing much. He hit 247 with a 321 on base and a 389 slugging. But you knew this guy was a good talent. What, so, the, what he had going for him was he was a great athlete. He ran really well, strong as an ox, very quick bat. Uh, he just had the tools. And I think once you saw the guy play, you thought this guy yeah, could well, probably be a major league player. He also crushed the ball at Durham in 86. Okay. Uh, he hit 26 home runs in 137 games Okay. Durham. Uh, but, you know, he made it up to Atlanta and he showed well. 
what's really interesting to me is they actually stuck him back down for 63 games in Richmond in 89. Was that the position swap? It was a position swap. Yeah. He clearly could not handle the infield, and so they moved, and he also was not hitting as much. Um, they converted him to an outfielder. He actually came back as a center fielder yeah. Um, yeah. when he came back to the major leagues. But, yes, that, that minor league stint for Gant was in the middle of position conversion. Now, then the other position players that you already mentioned came up were Blauser and Lemke. And we'll get to the way they were deployed in 91. They weren't really the middle infield combo. But right. what you have in Jeff Blauser is a guy who uh, was actually – uh, taken out of Sacramento City College in both the January and June draft in 1984. I don't really get that. But the Braves got him in the first round of the June draft. And in 1984, he acquits himself well in rookie league, starts moving up the chain. But it's really 87 that he starts moving. But what's interesting to me is, again, he wasn't that good. 88, he was well, finally good at Richmond. He hit 284, 340, 417. Um, and I mean, for it, a shortstop, those are yeah. really good numbers. But it, you know, they saw something in him. They were patient with him, and he started to come through. But like 87 at Richmond, he hit 177 after being promoted from Greenville for half a season where he hit 249, and he still got the September call-up. Yeah, um, he was showing them something. He was one of the youngest players in the league, probably, even yeah. at AAA at that point. Um, and he was a good but, athlete, although he was never that kind of a defensive player. That was yeah, he special, wasn't a great but, defensive shortstop, but obviously a good enough athlete that he, he played shortstop at the major league level, but he was clearly one of the better hitting shortstops of his era. But speaking of great middle infield defenders, uh, Mark Lemke is sort of just the guy who kept making enough happen when he needed to in 86 at Sumter when he was 20 years old in the Sally League which is what you're supposed to be he hit 272 uh-huh. with a 396 on base and a 455 slugging which if I'm not staring at it I wouldn't believe was Mark Lemke yeah that's excellent and then he went to Durham in 87 hit really well there and then in 88 at Greenville hit 273 322 and that got his call up but not for good, because he really went back to Richmond the next year. Um, his minor league stats were better than I would have thought. Yeah. Because um, he, he never really kept much major league career, never had those kinds of offensive numbers as a major league hitter, I guess. But, you know, good enough. But as you also said, he was an excellent defensive second baseman, one of the best of his era. And, and I think he was showing him that already at that point. What I don't necessarily have. Yeah, I do. Good. Uh, he was pretty much a second baseman the whole time in the minors. I mean, he got a game at short and a game at third and all those kind of things, but he was clearly a second baseman. Uh, but the real position player that I was thinking was the star in the minors at that point was Dave Justice. Uh-huh. I don't know if this is being backed up by what I'm looking at. Well, I don't, re- I don't again, I, I wasn't following. I don't remember David Justice's numbers in the minor leagues, but he was a... He was a number one draft pick, a great athlete, great basketball player in high school. I remember that. Always said he, maybe he could have gone on as a basketball player. It was the next year, '89, that he was called up, and he, if I'm not mistaken, he was the National League Rookie of the Year um, in '89. Not in '89, '90. Uh, '90. So two years after this mm-hmm. year, we're talking about. Oh, right. That that was when they finally got rid of Dale Murphy, I guess. Yes. Uh, and there was room for him. So anyway, Justice is coming along. Also, wasn't 89 the year that they drafted with their first-round draft pick, the number three overall, Steve Avery? Yes. Or was that the next year? It was 88, right? Um, and, man, he came with a lot of hype. Uh, I was saying you didn't hear that much about it, but the very top picks, I mean, the Braves you know, have all these good young arms, but Steve Avery, by all accounts, was sort of a can't-miss prospect out of high school. He was... You know, a big left-hander with great stuff, multiple pitches, good command, and there just wasn't. If, if there was ever a can't-miss pitching prospect, the way they talked about it, Steve Avery might have been it. So, when, when you talk and he, about and he showed what's it, on and the farm, what's coming up for the future, you got. We did hear about him. I remember in '88. Uh, yeah, and he was good the whole time. 
I mean, right. he was just a, a uh, John. Tommy was a rookie, by the way. I remember so well his very first game he was called up in 90. Um, he got bombed. Yeah, he was not good. He had an 90. ERA over five in his rookie year. Um, but the Braves were patient. He was like 20 years old when he got called up. Um, and obviously by the next year, 91, he was um, you know one of the best pitchers in the league. And then, I mean, he just had arm trouble. All right, so he, Avery didn't turn into the Hall of Fame pitcher that is that you know Smoltz and Glavin were, um, but he was as good as they were. For, Boy, was he! For three 91, years, 92, so. 93, and then right, I mean, and then his arm it. gave him trouble, and he was never the same again. But um, and he was a great postseason pitcher. Uh, we, we'll talk about Avery when we get into the nineties next time, I'm sure. But uh, n- nothing wrong. Steve Avery was it was he was not a bust in terms of how he pitched. He just ended up once he was in the major leagues having arm trouble, and so he couldn't last. But he was he was outstanding. And of course, uh, we mentioned Smoltz earlier. Famously, came over for Doyle Alexander, straight up. Yeah, that was insane. that was the trade just the year before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was at the end of the '87 season, uh, going down the stretch. The Tigers uh, kind of one last gasp. Uh, with with their team of the 80s that was so good, chance to win it all again. And so they trade the, the pitcher who hadn't gotten beyond A ball, right? John Smoltz for the veteran. No, Alexander. he was in double A. He was already, I was thinking he was only He was getting a. shelled in double A. Okay. Um, in any event, you know, Smoltz was, was not a high draft pick. He, he came on very fast in the minor leagues. But he was drafted well down in the draft. The 22nd um, round from Waverly High School in Lansing, Michigan. That far down, wow. Yeah. Um, but but he was he was still very young when the Braves got him, but the scouts obviously saw something in him, and that's what they wanted from the Tigers for Alexander. And, and it paid off um, in the long run. But again, we're talking about young pitchers, and it takes them a while to develop. Um, Smoltz gets called up um, during the season in 88, right? Yes. He actually, so in 87, he was in the Eastern League for Glens Falls with Detroit. Uh, back when to have a minor league team meant you had an old stadium, and that was the only qualification. And he had a five six eight ERA. He gets traded to the Braves. They bump him up to Richmond. And in three starts You mean he there, has an ERA over five in the Detroit system, and they go ahead and, and put him at AAA when yeah. the Braves get him? And in three starts, he manages to give up 11 runs. Walking eleven and sixteen innings, so they stick him back uh, at Richmond in '88, and he has a two seven nine ERA as a twenty one year old. He, he figured something out. <laughs> he gets called up to season. Atlanta, ERA over five, but then '89 he's spectacular. Right, um, you know the, the the progress is not always smooth with these young pitchers. But, uh, we talked about how Glavin struggled in '88, as did Smoltz. Smoltz actually was quite good in 89, as you say. But then he took a couple of steps back. It took him a while to, to finally hit his rhythm and be consistent as a major leaguer. It really was halfway through the 91 season. Again, we can talk about that later, but he sort of turned the corner. Um, so that by then, these three young pitchers we're talking about, Glavin and Smoltz and Avery, were all clicking on all cylinders at once, and that's what it takes. And even though they didn't all work out, well, Pete Smith. And there didn't. there were but, other pitchers behind them. I mean, Kent Merker had actually a pretty good year in the minors in 88. Oh, Kent Merker, you know, he gets overlooked. He was never the kind of star pitcher, but he had a very long, pretty productive major league career. And he was the fourth or fifth starter quite often for those Braves team in the early to mid-90s. Um, of, of those um, great pitchers we're talking about, you know, which one pitched a no-hitter? None of the rest of them, Kent Merker. Yep. Merker did it twice. <laughs> once was combined, once yeah, was only by once himself. Was solo. Uh, yeah. But in 88, he went between uh, Durham and Greenville, uh, pitching with good ERAs and fantastic strikeout numbers. Oh, the guy had stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like 11 per nine in this era. Right. Yeah, people didn't strike out as much back then. That's that's that'd be eye popping now. But then also, I mean, Mike Stanton was coming up as a reliever. Mm-hmm. Actually, he got a few games started. Yeah, and like most who's a, pitchers in the minor yeah. leagues, you always want to see if it's possible they can be a starter before you decide for sure they're in the bullpen. 
But, you know, turns I out. mean, Stanton turned out to be a guy that had a long had major a, league a career. A very long, productive career. Yes. Lefty with stuff will travel. Um, that's 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 quite a collection of young pitchers, all, you know, like 21 and younger, 22 and younger. Um Sounding kind of like the current Braves, doesn't it? A um, bunch of young pitchers, some of whom may pan out. The Braves sort of got lucky in that several of them panned out. Um, well, I mean, but also they were weirdly aggressive with their promotions. They were, weren't they? Partly because they had kind of had nothing to lose. They didn't have any good yeah. pitchers ahead of them. But sometimes people do worry that's not good for a pitcher's psyche, you know. But they were doing um, other position so, players, too. Yeah, you're right. You were talking about how the numbers weren't even that good for some of those other players they kept promoting anyway. They, they saw something in them. And maybe, I don't know, school of hard knocks, you know, learn to struggle early on and overcome it. You know, I, they I don't also, know enough about the psychology of this stuff, but you know, you can see that either way, right? It, it could be that you put them in a position where they're going to fail, um, and they, they never recover from it. But as Earl Weaver probably said, if he didn't, he should have. You know, baseball is all about failure. <laughs> you know, a good hitter only gets a hit a third of the time. Um, you know, you, you got to learn to deal with failure if you're going to be a successful major league player. Maybe that was their philosophy. I mean, maybe the thing I kind of wanted to end on is thinking about managers, partly because um, one of your all-time favorites, Chuck Tanner, started the year. Uh, any good Chuck Tanner stories that you want to tell our listeners? Or you um, just curse? You know, the main thing I remember about Chuck Tanner, um, you know, he was the most optimistic kind of happy talk manager that I remember. Um, there was a great um, segment on him and one of the Bill James abstracts from this era. It might have been in 88, might have been in 87. Um, but that, by this time, I really was reading those Bill James abstracts avidly every year. Um and it was cruel, as, as Bill James can be cruel, you know. Uh, but it was also pretty accurate. But it was it was just sort of a parody of, of Chuck Tanner's happy talk. Chuck Tanner, you know, did not know how to evaluate major league talent. He didn't know who ought to be playing. He didn't really understand anything about statistics. Um, he, had, he had won a World Series with the Pirates. Um, so it gave him a long major league career. But he was a very unsuccessful manager for the Braves, that's for sure. And so they fired him. Um, uh, yeah, and then they got Russ Nixon in there, which he was also a very unsuccessful manager for the Braves yeah. for a couple of more years um, before finally Bobby Cox fired him too. And what did they do? Um, Cox became the field manager um, after having to let go of Russ Nixon, and that's when everything turned. Well, and it's also. One of the things about this era is that you kind of have to figure out how to, you know, get everything in place. And the next one is Sherholtz. I mean, they were building all of this, but obviously. Yeah, you know, we, we, we've been talking about a lot of the guys that ended up contributing, you know, Gant and Justice and Blauser and Lemke, um, really cornerstones of, of the good Braves team. Um, there, and then not to mention all of the pitchers, um, the Braves sustained excellence though for a long time, even after most of those guys were gone, because they kept coming along. Uh, they didn't yet have Chipper Jones or Javi Lopez, uh, Ryan Klesko in the system, but they're coming along within another year or two after this. So it was all of a sudden they started having lots of good young players, and that that's what you need, of course. If you're going to compete um, consistently year after year, we've we've had the fluke years. We started with 1914 and 69 and 82, um, just kind of out of the blue to win a pennant, but not really be that good before or after any of those times. Um, we talked about the late 50s Braves, which was more of a dynasty because they had, you know, a solid core of many good players um, for several years in a row, and although only one World Series, they were one of the best teams in baseball for half a decade at least. Um, the Braves, there was really no reason to think that they were going to turn into one of the best franchises in baseball because as of 1988, they were one of the worst. Not just that they had the worst record in baseball that year. Um, they had been the worst team in baseball many years <laughs> over the last 20 years or so. Um, there was reason for hope, I guess, if you really look closely. But at this point, it's hard for me to say whether I felt it at the time or whether that's something I'm just projecting backwards, knowing now what happened later. <laughs> um, 
well, but that's what's fun about that as we look at the current situation. Um, I'm, I'm a fan like so many people. I, I want to think the best of our prospects, and I can see so many of them turning out to be you know, really good, kind of like these guys in the late 80s turned out to be good, and that means the Braves over the next few years will be really good. But um, I also remember the good young Braves of the late 70s and early 80s who didn't turn out to be good. Yes, so that's... It's, it's still an open question about this current bunch. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say when you're going, okay, they ended up in three years in the World Series. Right. To try and say, well, how could it go? Two wrong? years later, in 1990, they had the worst record in the league. So yeah. it, it's not like they were gradually getting better every year. It was sort of an explosion. Again, that's the fun thing. We'll talk about the worst to first. But, I mean, you could see it building up. They had the good young pitchers who were getting better and better. Um, but it it, it, it it didn't happen immediately, even after 88. Well, and I think if we want to take a lesson from the 88 Braves, what it really is is that sometimes you do have to suffer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, well, that's what I've been trying to tell myself over the last couple of years because there's been so much suffering with the major league team playing so poorly um, that, you know, this a rebuild can be successful because we've seen it done before. Um, so that's, um, that, that's, the, that's the positive spin to put on all of this. I mean, hopefully we can get somewhere close in the next few years as the 90s Braves did. I mean, the further uh, that, we get that's, away. That's not realistic because there's yeah. never been a major league team in history to have a run like the Braves did from 91 to 95 to 05. Um, but if we could just have a team that was consistently competitive for the pennant for several years, man, I'd be thrilled. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that actually one of the great things about the rebuild and the way Coppola has done it is this understanding that sometimes you have to destroy some things to get in what you need. That yeah. you can't sort of just say, well, we're going to hold on to high 80s win totals. Man, that is that is exactly what they decided to do. We're, we'll still find out whether that was the right call to make over the next couple of years, but there's no doubt that they made the decision that um, there's no way you get to be a consistent 90-plus win team without hitting the bottom first and that's what we've gone through the last couple of years um but that that may actually be right i mean that may that may be the only way to get there given given the state of the braves farm system um a couple of years ago um compared to now that's probably true that uh, doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be a 90 win team consistently after this but if they had wanted to have a chance to be there i guess this is what they had to do and certainly if they get there, then we will be here to talk about it and possibly keep reflecting on things like uh, Chuck Tanner and Russ Nixon and how you get to points where you actually win with good managers. But uh, whatever happens, however it will take shape, you can hear all about it right here on the Channel 17 podcast. Brought to you by the Productive Leisure Network online, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com. You can hear all of our episodes and every Productive Leisure podcast episode right there. You can also find it on iTunes and Stitcher. And please, if you're listening to us on either platform, subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating, leave a review. You can also help us out, as I mentioned earlier, by going to our Patreon page and becoming one of our patrons at patreon.com slash productive leisure. You can also follow us for updates on everything to do with the Productive Leisure Network on Facebook and Twitter at Prod Leisure. And if you like this, find us there share on social media that you're listening and enjoy this podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next week.